debate. It's Rosh Hashanah. How many are excited about Rosh Hashanah this year? It's a different year. Today, supposedly, something major is going to happen in the world, everybody's saying, right? All the conspiracy theorists are saying that something crazy is going to happen. I saw one thing that said that and it made sense why they think it. 9, 24, 22. If you take 9 and you flip it upside down, it's a 6. You add 2 and 4 together, it's a 6. You take 2, 0, 2, 2, and it's 6. So today's 666. People are uh, interesting. I do think, however, that we are in the, in the last days. I mean, it's hard not to see it. Yeshua says to the men, you can be a discerner of the weather, but you can't discern these times. You can discern the weather, but you can't discern these times. We all discern the weather. You can feel it. You feel the changes. It's start, it started. I mean, the first day of fall was legitimately the first day of fall. The day before that was hot. So it's very, it's very easy to discern the weather, right? And... Uh, It's important to be a discerner of the times. Flooding is going on everywhere. You can't even, I mean, there's flooding in the middle of the desert. Literally, I watched a video where there is like exploding geyser coming out of the middle of the desert. No one understands why. Reshaping the earth. We have... Uh, The Euphrates River drying up. The prophecies are very clear about what happens in the end. Maybe the exploding geyser in the middle of the desert is the rerouting of the Euphrates River's water. Because where'd the water go? Had to go somewhere. I don't know. Um, earthquakes, major earthquakes. If you guys have not noticed it. I think... You look at what's going on with uh, abortion. The heart of man is desiring to kill the children. They're bloodthirsty. You look at what's going on with this perversion of transgender, non-binary, something other than male and female just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And those days are going to be like Sodom, those last days. It'll be like that. And we'll be giving in marriage and giving away, and we'll be, we'll be having our parties and our birthdays, and, our, and we'll be living normal. But I don't think people are really seeing what's going on in the spiritual 
We are literally on the brink of a global economic collapse. Global economic collapse. Not just a country collapse. It's global. Everything right now in the world is affecting everyone in the world. That's not, that's not happened. Bank chairmen and presidents are coming on the television and saying that what we're about to realize is the worst economic crisis that we've ever realized, even worse than 2008. They're saying that Europe is going to have, this winter, more deaths by freezing than they've ever seen before because they will not be able to heat their homes because of the cost. Gas prices are trading up 400%. Does any of you know that? Do you realize that gas prices are trading up 400%? Do you realize to heat your home this winter, it's going to be a ridiculous amount of money? $2,000, $3,000 to heat your home. No one's even understanding what's going on around about them. They're not even paying attention to it. They're just assuming that things are going to work themselves out. And they're focusing on saving America and the November election and getting Republicans elected and Donald Trump and all this stuff, but that's a distraction. That's a total distraction from what's going on in the spirit. We are all distracted. Rosh Hashanah is a day of the blowing of trumpets. There's seven trumpets in the Bible. Seven. The sixth trumpet, the anti-Mashiach shows up. The seventh trumpet, Yeshua shows up. We're distracted. The Bible prophesies that when the great, the, the, the great Euphrates River dries up, that the four angels that are tied into the at the bottom of that of that river will be released and they will be pouring out their vials has any of you read what those vials are and does it look like what's happening today the pope just signed a seven-year deal a year ago a seven-year deal a year ago the last year has been a nightmare. You have the Pope now establishing a global religion. Anybody hear that? Now Muslims and Jews and Christians are going to come together. Why? Because we all worship the same God, says the Pope. We're going to have a global religion that worships the same God. It's very weird. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe in them. What I believe is in the Bible. And prophecy is told, and then when it unfolds, you're supposed to be able to recognize it. And those of us that have the mark of God in our foreheads, what does that mean? 
What does that mean? Do you guys have, do you guys have the mark of God in your forehead? Are you going to go get a tattoo and put Yahweh on the middle of your forehead? Are you going to have the tetragrammatron tatted on your forehead? No, that's not what that means. It means that our minds, our minds have God in them. And not just our hearts, but our minds. When those who have the mark of the beast in their forehead, same thing, their minds are perverted. You literally think that you're going to walk around with a barcode on your forehead? It's not the meaning of it, but we who are ignorant to the scriptures and their anthropomorphic analogies may not understand that. Those that are of Satan have the mind of Satan. Those that are of God have the mind of God. And you will be stained, and you will be able to, if you read. The only way to get to know God is to read, right? It's knowledge, the knowledge of God. And then God teaches you, you have to hear his voice. Arguably, when Adam was in the garden, he spoke with, had the voice of God inside of him. How do we know that? Because God told him to create. I assume when Adam walked around and he spoke, things come into creation. Things would come to life. He had the voice of God inside of him. When he sinned, when he fell, when man fell, that voice left. How do we know that? Because Adam literally says to God, I heard your voice walking in the midst of the garden. So he heard what was inside of him. I think God placed inside of him his voice so that he could go and create. Gave him an ability. And when he fell, it separated. That's the Shekhinah. We talk about the glory of God. I think that it was not only was it not only was it something that covered him, but it was more importantly something that was innate inside of him. And when he fell, that, that, that's, that thing that was inside of him separated. Which is why Yeshua must send the Holy Spirit to indwell inside of us, to cover us, to protect us. That is the voice of God. The Holy Spirit is literally the voice of God inside of us. When you read the word, when you study God, when you look to him, when you look to the mountains and the hills and you cry out for him and say, Lord, where are you? I need you. His voice inside of you speaks. You feel him. That separated at, at the fall of man. But where, where are we in this world today? Where are we? We're in a very strange place. There's a lot of people talking about this, okay, uh, in social media and, and the like. They're, they're, they're out there and they're, and they're ministering and they're preaching and they're, they're telling the world that, you're, you know, Yeshua is returning and that he is the Savior and you need to get your mind right and your life right and God is coming back and all these things. And they're saying it and it's beautiful and it's great. I just think it's the wrong approach sometimes. I saw a guy kneeling down to a bunch of homeless people telling them that Jesus, Yeshua 
is returning. Jesus Christ is coming. Do you know where you're going? Is your life right? You know, all these things. And then he'd kneel down and he would say the sinner's prayer with one while the other was mocking. And, and he would look at them and say, God loves you too. He loves you too. I don't, I don't know the effect of that. I don't really understand that ministry. It doesn't make sense to me. That's not the ministry that Yeshua told us to go. By the way, Yeshua told the, the 12 disciples to go out into the world and minister the gospel of the kingdom. Okay? And he told them to go out into the, into the communities, to the people that they knew, arguably. Okay? Into the communities and you knock on the door and if they receive you, then stay with them a while. And if they reject you, then dust yourself off and move on. But we have people standing in the streets arguing, arguing God. Arguing it. If God's not real, then what about this and what about that? And if God's not real, then what about this? And he came to save you, and you're being ignorant. And, and I mean, that's not what Yeshua said to do. He told them, simply go out and share a message of a gospel, which is of a kingdom. And those that have the seed of God planted inside of them, it will be watered. And I'll argue that it's not necessarily us planting that seed. Some of us say, well, some, you, know, we, you know, we hear it all the time. You go out, you plant seeds, and then someone else waters it. Maybe God planted a seed in those people. He knows who his people are. You know that he knows that, right? Do you think God is not aware of the, of the very last person that's going to come to him is? Before death, let's say. Do you think he's unaware of who that is? God plants a seed in people, and you see it in their life. I was talking to Eliana last night. I allowed her to go to a football game, which was very hard for me to do, but I allowed her to go, and I made her check in every half hour by sending pictures and then she FaceTime with Tasha to make sure all was well and then I called her multiple times because I heard an ambulance <laughs> and I heard I heard like popping off of things and I'm like well what is that you know and but but again I sent her there and you know she she texted me before the game was over because I can hear the game it's literally down the street from my house and she said, I'm ready to go. I said, really? She goes, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to go. I don't want to be here anymore. She's, I said, so you want me to come get you? She said, yep. So I drove down the street. She walks out smiling like normal. Nothing bad happened. She's not upset. She's not angry. She didn't get in a fight. She didn't get treated poorly she you know nothing she just eh, it wasn't for me I'm not no. so then we're talking and I said well tell, you know because I gotta know what happened tell me about the event tell me about who was there who were you talking to what were they talking about 
And she's like, you know, some people just bug me. Like, they, they talk about people so bad. Like, it's just, I, I'm just tired of listening to it, you know. And, you know, there was this one girl who constantly gets picked on on her soccer team that was so excited because she got a new dog. And she said, I got my new puppy dog, my new, my new puppy. And all the cool kids were over here. And uh, one of the cool kids goes over to all the other cool kids and says, oh my gosh, I got my new puppy dog. Ah, and starts making fun of this poor girl who gets picked on. And Eliana's like, I think that, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Why would you do that to someone? And I said, you know, I'm proud of you for being that way. I always looked out for the underdog myself. In fact, I would make fun of the person who thought they were popular in front of everyone else on purpose because I wanted them to feel like they, they didn't belong for a moment. And I told Eliana, you know, I never hung out with the cool kids, but I was friends with everyone. I said, I had my own little world of cool. <laughs> there were the cool kids, and then there was this cool guy right here. <laughs> I said, I didn't go to their parties. I didn't do their stuff. I didn't, I didn't really get, be a, I wasn't really a part of that. I said, but let me tell you, when I walked in a room, I made a difference. They knew I was there, and they all talked to me. I said, you don't have to be a part of that. You don't have to be like them. You also don't have to make fun of the cool kids either. So the fact that you just stay away from it makes me proud of you. I said, keep that up. Well, let me tell you what that is. That's a seed that is inside my child that God put there. God put that in her. I didn't. My wife didn't. Or my, her nan and papa or grandparents didn't. She's just grown into that. Okay, so God puts seeds in people. He makes them who they are. Their character is who they become based on what God puts inside of them. Now, maybe God does that because we've prayed for protection, and we've prayed that God would touch them and speak to them. I, you know, the other night, Mikey was, I don't know if I shared this at all with you guys, but Mikey, I was praying over Mikey in bed. I told this to my wife, but, I, you know, he was being outrageous, and, uh, it, you know, we were playing and tickling before bed, and I got him all riled up, and I shouldn't have. But then I said, okay, time for bed. And he's like, no, I don't want to go to bed. And I said, it's time for bed, buddy. And I put him down, laid him down. And he's like, no, I don't want to go to bed. And I said, Mikey, let's pray. So I put my hand on his head, and I said, Lord, open his eyes to see. And he went like this. <laughs> And he laid there still. And I said, open his ears to hear your voice tonight. That he might know who you are in his dreams. Guard his mind and his thoughts. So he can become the man that you've created him to be. And as I was 
saying those things, he was like this, and then he just went and closed his eyes. And as he closed his eyes, he prayed with me the whole time. And then I said, in Yeshua's name, Amen. And he said, Amen. I said, now go to bed. Okay, Daddy. The Spirit of God is in people or it's not. It flowers into beauty or it doesn't. There's people that you know. That Spirit of God isn't in them. Now, there are tormented people that have the Spirit of God, and they're tormented by the enemy because God knows that they have the Spirit of God and can do something with it. That's a truth. But here we are in this end days, in these last days, which I believe they are, and we can say it. It doesn't matter if it's seven years. It doesn't matter if it's ten. It doesn't matter if it's fifty these generations that we're in now, they're clearly a part of a change. A change like you've never seen. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. The difference between now and Sodom and Gomorrah is that Yeshua already died and rose. We're on the other side of it. So he can come. Yeshua said, no man knows the hour or the day, but my Father in heaven. And Yeshua was on the earth at that time when he said it. But what has he done since then? He's ascended. Does he not know the hour and the time? He sits on his Father's throne with him he knows does the Holy Spirit not know it knows so can we not discern the times yes we can because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us let's not be distracted by saving America when it's really about the world let's not be distracted that Four red heifers showed up in Jerusalem a couple, couple, about a week ago. They just need the ashes. They don't need the temple. They just need an altar where it needs to be. We've got a train station in Jerusalem at the Western Wall named after Trump. It's going right to where the temple will be. From Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, the train station is there from 2017. It's ready to be used, ready to truck everyone who wants to come to the temple and make sacrifices. All the elements are in place. Everything they need is there. They just need the temple. We just need the temple for someone to go in and set themselves up as a desecration. To call himself God. That's all we need. And, 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 and we're close to that. So here we are in the 
precipice here of about to transition into Rosh Hashanah, his last days, and I'm going to get through some of this that I have written down, but I'm going to get to a point where you guys are going to think I'm absolutely crazy what I did this week. You're going to think I'm weird. But we'll talk about that here in a moment. But God's doing something, and I can promise you that he's doing it because he's speaking. But let's talk about these traditions in our faith, Christianity and Judaism. There's two traditions here, and there's two principles here that are during this time that are the most important to us. There's judgment and there's resurrection. How many believe that there will be a judgment? Go ahead and raise your hands, please. Okay, there seems like a lot. How many people believe that there is a resurrection? Okay. So we all seem to be in the same page. Most traditions in both the modern and the, 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 the pre-modern world believe and have hinged their beliefs on the principles of judgment and resurrection that we have today. Most traditions, religious traditions, have something that resembles both judgment and resurrection. Judaism talks about judgment, but less than Christianity. Dad gave, has been giving the last few services, I don't know if you've recognized it, but the last few services, He's been talking about eternal damnation. Now that's a, that's a Christian tradition that we hold because we're believers in Yeshua. The Jewish tradition is less about eternal damnation because they don't believe that they're eternally damned. So when the Jewish person goes out and ministers the faith, they say that yes, you will be judged, but more importantly, your judgment, your, your sin that you've bore in life will be considered merit to you when you are a Baal Tshuva. Everyone in this room is a Baal Tshuva. A Balchuva is someone who's repented and returned back to God. So everyone in this room is Balchuva. And because you're Balchuva, your sin of your past, the sin of your past is considered merit for you because you've turned from it, and as a result of turning from it, you've 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 received a reward. So when you return from your sin, when you, when you return to God and back to your first love, and your neshama comes and connects with the divine, all the sins that you've done in the past become merit because of the fact that you changed and you turned. Now I believe that. That makes total sense to me. That's a Jewish idea. It's a Jewish concept. It completely makes sense to me because you've turned from your wicked ways. And as a result of turning from your wicked ways, what do you receive from God? Immeasurable blessing. 
And I'm not even talking about blessing on earth, okay? I'm talking about immeasurable, bless, uh, immeasurable blessing in the Olam Haba, the world to come. Christianity, on the other hand, they spend their time focusing on the fact that your sin sends you to hell. Your sin will damn you to hell. A lot of times that pushes a fear into someone's life. And, it, and because of the fear of not wanting to burn in hell forever and ever, they come to the fit belief that, okay, well, what do I have to do? The formula is you, can, you, you accept Yeshua as your Messiah and you come to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and you will evade hell. Well, sign me up. Where do I sign? That's a Christian idea. Okay, that's very Christian. Now we as Messianic believers, we live somewhere in the between. We know that our sin and not believing in Yeshua and not coming to his, to his throne and bowing our knee and casting our crowns at his feet, we know that if we don't do that, that the ultimate result of not doing that is being separated from the divine presence, from, from the God of, of the creation, and put into a place that is completely, absolutely separated from him. It's a decision that we make. We know that if we decide that I don't want you, I want this, we know that we're going to be put into this place of separation which ultimately has been described in the scriptures and extra biblical text as a fiery uh, lake of fire that there is burning and gnashing and screaming and wailing we know that that exists we know that that's the, the, the reality but we also know that accepting Yeshua in an imperfect way because we are all imperfect, coming to Yeshua as imperfect beings and saying to him, I am unholy, yet I want to be in your presence and stand before you. I'm trying. We know that we're his children and he will not separate from us. Someone who's full of the devil, someone who's full of Satan, someone who's full of a demon, is going to be very difficult for that person to bow their knee. That person will inevitably find the place of hell. Arguably, if anyone in the world is faced with a choice, arguably, if anyone in the world with an, an ounce of common sense is faced with the choice of standing in front of the king who you want to be with and worship, who, who created you, or being separated from the holiness and the righteousness and the beauty of, of the eternity, and put here, arguably every normal person would say, well, by no means would I want that. Now, that's just wanting an experience. That's not necessarily wanting God. There's a difference between wanting an experience of awesome olam haba, 
living in the beautiful land of Israel with rivers flowing and trees with all manners of fruits and yada yada. There's a difference between, between wanting that environment and wanting an environment of hell. And wanting God just because you want God. How many people come to the faith because they just want God? They need Him. And then, wherever they are, no matter their circumstances, no matter if they're in the midst of hell or in the midst of great greatness, no matter, like Paul said, I have learned to live in, 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 in wealth and I have learned to live in poverty. I need nothing, he says. I've learned to live in both and I'm accepting them because I created all joy inside of me to have peace in the fact that I know that I'm with God because God does what? Jeremiah, he has plans to prosper me, not to harm me. No matter the circumstance, no matter this circumstance that's here or this one, no matter which one I'm in, I still want God. If I'm around a raging fire, I still want God. If I'm around a, 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 a beautiful a mansion full of gold, I still want God. It's not the gold I seek. It's not the fire I seek, seek to evade. It's the presence of God I seek. So how do you find those true believers? That's a seed. That's a seed that's been planted in them. That's not me going in the streets and kneeling down in front of homeless people and coercing them to say a sinner's prayer. It's just not that. Anyone that walks into a church Anyone that walks into a, 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 a temple, a messianic temple, arguably wants to know God. Like, it should be within the fabric of what we're doing here. People that don't want to know God typically are not going to walk into your building and sit in front of you. I don't know why they would. But what are you supposed to do in these last days? You're supposed to be out there telling people about Yeshua. And those that hear the call because the seed is inside of them, invite them to your congregation. That's how this works. It doesn't work the other way, it, it, you know, your, your seats get full because you have fruit. I was telling someone the other day, they might not realize this or they might not feel this, but my fruit is Jason, is, is Joel, is Brian. That's my fruit. Why is that my fruit? Because when I met them, I shared with them this message and the seed that was in them from God was watered. And their fruit are their wives and their children and their parents 
It's, it, it happens that way. That's the way this works. God tells you to go and find those that will listen and, and develop them. And that's what we're doing. And sometimes we're afraid, and sometimes we're, um, uh, you know, nervous to tell the world what we believe or what we think. We don't want to mess up our jobs. We don't want to mess up our, 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 our community, our money. Let's argue that. You know, I couldn't wait to find, to get out of the world I was in. And I made a pact with myself and with God that the moment, the moment I get uh, uh, into something else, and if it's my own, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on my doorpost of my business, my mezuzahs. Why? So that, one, every time I walk in, I know that God is in charge. And, and two, that the world around me knows that I have something inside of me that's different from the rest of the world because they see this thing and it's a religious thing and it's based on God. And so all of my doors in my office have mezuzahs on them, even those that aren't, uh, uh, aren't you know, I mean, I have one on my controller's door. He's not Jewish. I've got, you know, and, and, he, and he has a mezuzah on his door. It, you don't have to be Jewish. The building is, is, is guarded by the commands of God upon the doorposts of your house but I'll tell you back in the day you can ask my dad to merge that stuff back in the day was very very not called for you don't merge your belief set and uh, your, your work. I disagree because you don't work. Your livelihood is not outside of God. Your livelihood is from God. Your parnosa in, 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 the, in, the, in the Hebrew is, is in the form of what God provides you. Your parnosa is your livelihood. It's all the same. So if you're going to live your life according to the ways of God, you do it in everything. You do it in your whole life. You do it with your family. You do it with your friends. You do it with your business. You do it with everything. Everyone will know who you are. That's a fact. You don't allow your, the things that you touch that God put in your hands to not be based on God. If you do, then you're living in two different worlds and you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Now, if you work in Egypt... For someone else. That's a different conversation. It's not yours. You're just a visitor. You're a passerby. And you're there on the hand, by the hands of God. That's just a fact. But we have in tradition, we have in Christianity, this concept of judgment and resurrection. And the concept more is, live your life while you're on earth, and quickly live your life. Come to faith quickly, because if you don't come to faith before you die, you will not have a chance. You know, that's the, that's the Christian ideology. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's right. Because we don't know. We don't know. 
And, I, and I'm going to read something to you that's very interesting because God did something with me this week. And it's, you're going to think I'm weird, but I did it. And it turned out to mean something great to me as of last night. In Judaism, we have Shlosha Asar Karim, which was created, the 13 principles by Rambam. The 11th principle is resurrection. The 13th, I mean, the 11th principle is judgment. The 13th principle is resurrection. These are very key. They're core to our faith and to our belief. You cannot believe in, 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 in Jew, you cannot be Jewish and not believe in resurrection and judgment. You cannot be. It's impossible. It's the core foundation of what we believe. You also cannot be Christian and not believe in the judgment that's coming and the resurrection. The difference between the Jews and the Christians is the Jews really think they're going to be judged for their sin. Christians think that I've come to faith in Jesus and my judgment's gone. Grace is covered and it's over. No, 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 no. We will have to reconcile everything we've done. Let's be clear. Grace is so beautiful because he'll look at us even though as we go through the reconciliation of what we've done, like a, like a father will his children, no different from I do with my own children when they do wrong. I sit them down very seriously, and I'm very angry. But I would never send them to the depths for their sin, or their failure, or their wrong. I'll do everything I can to bring them from the depths to, to the heights, because of my love for them. Which is why the Son of God came. Which is why he died on the cross. Because of God's love for his creation, for his people. I don't think we're just going to walk right into Alamabah without having gone through a fiery, burning way of our sin. That's my belief. We're going to have to face the piper, but the beautiful part of knowing that Yeshua is our king is that it's going to be more of a reflection of who you were and then being a part of God purging you of that. That's the judgment. Purging you of your sin. That's the grace. But we as believers have to recognize, in the end, that the Torah is the nucleus of our faith. Both Christianity and Judaism, and you're seeing that today. That, that Christian, Christians are coming more and more to the understanding of Torah than they have in the history of time. It's, it's literally like the end times, and you see it all over social media. I can't tell you how many people are using Yeshua over Jesus now. 
maybe because it's 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 fad or or you know because it's something different and they well that was his real name and you know yada 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 but I but what is happening is that people in the faith are grasping the hem of the garment of the Torah the Jews and they're asking show us your ways and your truth and your commands because we need to know what God requires of us in these days and 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 it even in the last days it says that as we approach the last days that we will come there will be a uh, there will be a, a, an influx of knowledge of the word of God so that we can live our lives more closely to what God's word desires The Torah disseminates the roadmap that God requires for holiness and sanctification. Howbeit that roadmap for our ancient brothers and sisters was physical, today God has taken that physical and transitioned its application to the nefesh, to the soul of man, enabling us to overcome that animal inclination to sin at the root of wickedness, which is in the heart. Our hearts have an animal inclination to sin. They always have. But Yeshua wants to solve that. Just like he tells his disciples in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23, that which comes out of the man, it defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, precedes evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. I can tell you right now, as I read through all of those, those, those characteristics, I have them. This is going to sound terrible, but I've wanted to kill people in my life. In the last 42 years of my life, there's been experiences that I've had, that I've had thoughts in my head that if I just run that person off the road, it sounds terrible. Now, I've never do it because I have the Holy Spirit in my life. But have I thought it inside? Yes, 1,000%. That's murderous. Years ago, I remember I had an event where somebody tried to harm me in my life, my career. And it was a very bad thing what this person did. And I remember telling my dad, I envisioned just ending him. And my dad says, I understand that feeling. Evil thoughts, how many of us? All of us. Tell me we haven't. Liar, if you tell me you haven't. Covetousness, that's more of a normal, everyday thing. 
You all covet something. Every day. And Yeshua tells, the, tells, uh, tells us right here that this defiles you. And it comes from here. Yeshua's message to his disciples tells us that if we do not examine our innermost, our innermost feelings, our innermost thoughts, our, our, you know, our, our innermost emotions, and focus on purging our evil inclinations from within, we'll never achieve the state of holiness necessary to commune with God in this life. Can you covet and commune with God at the same time? No. Can you have a thought of murdering a person and commune with God at the same time? No. Can you be thinking fornication and communing with God at the same time? No. Can any of those exist together? No. They have to be eliminated. You have to live your life in a state of pure humility. You have, to, you have to examine every emotion and thought and feeling, eliminate it in, in absolute humility, and only be for God. It sounds impossible. We all know that our flesh, that we are our flesh, and it's unrealistic that we would live in our lives perfectly holy and without sin. So the fact that, one, we already recognize that we're flesh. Two, that in the flesh we sin. We've already lost the battle. You realize the battle has lost. We've already told ourselves... I can't be perfectly holy because I'm in flesh and I sin. So what will you do when you sin? You accept the fact that you're going to sin and that you're not going to be perfectly holy, but yet God still loves you, and that's why grace is so important in Christianity. We use grace as an occasion to sin. Who said that? Who said that? Paul. We use grace as an occasion to sin. To say that we don't, you're lying again. That's what Christianity does. You know what Judaism does? There's no concept of grace, really, in Judaism. But they dress up, right? They, they wear their religion on their outside. Okay? And they, and they fight on the outside. And they trap everything on the inside. That's what Judaism does. Literally walk their life out in the physical, wearing their religion, and not pursuing evil things in the physical if my hand doesn't sin then I don't sin but if my mind sins it's fine because I fought it with my physical that's what Judaism does it's actually better than what Christianity does Christianity does this on the inside I'm holy even though on the outside I do wicked 
do wicked on the outside and on the inside be unholy? Then it would do, then to do wicked on the outside and then on the inside be holy? Yes, it's better. It is 1,000% better to not do unholy, unrighteous acts in the physical and wrestle with it on the inside than to do unholy, unrighteous acts in the physical and on the inside be, 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 be I, I, I don't know how I crossed those up. I, I can't, I, I don't know how I put that together. But the point is that if you, if you do something on the outside, wicked, and then tell everybody, but my heart is right. It's better to say, my heart wants to do this evil thing, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to fight it on the inside. That's a better place to be. Christianity is the opposite. Jews walk around with their religion on their body. Christians walk around with the world on their body. How many Christians in the world do you know that now all of a sudden, do you know that now all of a sudden tattooing is the big Christian thing to do? I always tell people, I like tattoos. I do. I would probably be all tatted up if I wasn't who I am. And they're like, what do you mean by that? I don't believe we should do it. So I don't do it. But I would be all tatted up, I'm telling you right now. I'd probably have neck tats and my head would be all tatted up. I, I would probably be that because I think it looks cool. My arms, I'd have sleeves for sure. Hundred percent. But I don't feel that it's what we should do, so I don't do it. The whole world does it. And now all of a sudden, just because you're your tattoo in Christianity is a cross or a Christian verse or you're doing this or that, it doesn't make it necessarily even right. You look just like the world looks. If I see you on the beach, I don't tell if that cross is of a gangbanger because gangbangers wear crosses. And gangbangers put, put you know, scripture verses on their, on their, on their chests. I don't know if you're a gangbanger or if you're this, but if a Jew's walking down the beach with a kippah and tzitzit in a bathing suit, I know that guy is, a believer, is someone who's following God. It's, it, they, they dress for their faith, and the world, Christianity, is dressing for the world. In Christianity, we think that we have to become like the world to get to the world, and in Judaism, they say, be ye separate, and the world will come to you when they want to know about the God of Israel. We've got a problem in the faith, especially in these last days. There's a problem. We want to be more and more like the world, so what do we do? We have rock concerts at our churches, and we think that's phenomenal. I had a conversation the other day with somebody about a church that's right around here that has smoke machines going and rock concerts and it's well I think they want to attract the 20s crowd what when I was in my 20s I wanted to be in the inner court I had no interest in my 20s of rock concerts and smoke 
Well, it attracts the kids, and it attracts the youth, and then, you know, there's programs. You know, we're building gyms for the... Gy what? Gyms? What is a gym going to do? Well, we have programs for the kids to come and do sports. Our faith is not about sports. Well, it gets them in. That's not the attraction. Your soul either desires God and wants to know Him in a deeper way, or your flesh desires to go play ball three times a week. Oh, and at the end of it, you get a message of, Do you want to know Jesus? This is who He is for five minutes. And those pastors literally feel like they're doing their job. It's mind-blowing to me. It's mind-blowing. I shared the gospel with 30, you know, 300 kids yesterday after a basketball game. Okay, how long was the message? About three minutes. Okay, great. What is that doing? You feel good at night. But did it really make a change? I don't get it. I don't understand that. And that, to me, is not faith. We're trying to look more like the world to supposedly spread a gospel than we should. I don't get it. These are the last days, guys. It's not time to play sports and dress up like the gangbang. I literally watched this pastor who's got sleeves, and I'm like, dude, they look sweet. And, and he's like, you know what marking the body meant in the Bible? It didn't mean not having tattoos. It meant not cutting yourself for worship. I don't cut myself for worship, so I got tattoos. Okay, dude, let's put it into, let's put it into our concept. But the reason, the reason that the Jewish people were required to do what they were supposed to do was to look separate then. And if the world's doing it, then we shouldn't do it. That's the point. If the heathen does it, and we do it, then we look the same. Some guy gets tattoos of horns on his head, you know, because he worships Baal or, or, or whoever. And then a Christian goes and gets tattoos of freaking crosses all over his head. And, oh, you know, good for you. Like, now that's going to minister to the world. Look, you know, well, what about all those people with tattoos? They'd never come to the faith by listening to someone without them. I would venture to say that everyone that is full of tattoos would much rather hear the gospel message from Billy Graham than a guy that looks just like them. Because they would probably say, who do you think you are telling me Look at you. And I'll tell you, Billy Graham was probably one of the last great preachers. Man, I, I, I've watched a few of his preachings and, man, that guy was good, full of the Spirit of God. Even though he was a Baptist or he was a this, you can say what you want about him. That man, Billy Graham, the old man, Billy Graham, had a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. 
We have to be careful who we are and what we're doing in these last days. We have to think about that. We have to think about our faith. We have to think about what we represent to the world. Who are we representing ourselves as? You have to really think about that. What's your character that's coming out in front of everyone else? What is your character? Purge the evil inclination. God realizes our limitations. That's a fact. That define our natural existence. He realizes it. He knows it. That's why he sent his son. He understands the burden of the flesh and the spirit. He gets the fight and the wrestling, as Paul talks about. He gets that. He understands the burden. And that's why we have the blood covering of Yeshua. But it's hard to reconcile the decisions we make while we're in the blood covering of Yeshua. The decisions we make to sin. That's what's hard. Okay? Now let me, rec- let me back up for a minute. I'm not saying that tattooing your body is a sin. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that it's what the world does. And we shouldn't use it as a tool to pros- propagate the message of God. And I'm not saying being a part of sports is a sin. It's what the world does. And we shouldn't use it as a, as a tool to propagate the message of God. I'm saying that what we're doing is we're, do, we're taking what is done in the world and using it as a tool to propagate a message, which in fact, it, all, it waters down the message because the only reason those kids are there at that youth night in that gym is to play basketball. The whole purpose of the night has been watered down. And you can't tell me that, they're, that, that they're there for any other reason. Take every 300, every, all 300 of those children, and after that basketball game, two days later, find each one of them and interview them and say, what did you get out of that night? Oh, man, we played an awesome game. Man, that game was sweet. I juked this dude and I did that. Well, did you get Yeshua out of it? Oh, yeah, some guy talked about that at the end. That's what you would get. But if you come together as a solemn assembly for the purpose of worshiping God and hearing his word, you won't leave here with any other thought in your mind, but I came into a place to have the presence of God in me. For an hour, I was just listening to a message about the King of Kings. And for 10 minutes at the end of it, I felt the presence of God through worship like I've never felt before. Not like I felt when I went to the concert at Blossom. Hashem requires that we as his royal priesthood live in the pursuit of conquering the inclination to do evil in the flesh. We have to live in that pursuit. He'd much rather us battle it between our our ears and inside our chest than actually physically allow it out because we use grace as an occasion to sin. Even though I'm about to do this, Though I am about to come out into this place, and though I am about to, to, to afflict somebody through my actions, God forgives me. 
prior to me doing it. But no, come on. You've harmed in the physical. How do we fight here and here? That's the hardest part. The hardest part is, is figuring that out and coming into the presence of God. And if we fail at the pursuit to choose to live our lives as though Yeshua did not rise from the dead, then we'll be forfeiting our place in the messianic age to come. If we continually use grace as an occasion to sin, is that heart truly of God? Since the tragedy of, of Adam's fall, and it's been the sole pursuit of God to reunify our spirit, our inner essence with his presence, and, and, and just like in the days of Adam's illumination in, the Gan, in, in Gan Eden, he wants to bring us back together with him, and it's all leading that direction. And guess what? It's all been prophesied how it's going to happen. There's nothing new under the sun, FYI. If you think that there's something new going to happen and some prophet comes out with some new message of what God's about to do, you're crazy. It's already been spelled out. He's already told us what he's about to do. It's already been given to us. All we have to do is look for it. The prophecy that will be shared has been shared. There's no new prophecy. God formed us to commune with him, and he's fulfilling his desire to walk with us again through the Mashiach. Let me just back up. Chris, this is, that's the, that's the, what I just said is the idea of Jewish prophecy. That's how Jews look at prophecy. Christians look at prophecy very different. There, there could be prophets in the Christianity that they're prophesying into your life. I prophesy into your life favor. I prophesy into your life blessing. I prophesy into your life abundance. I prophesy. You, you'll hear that. Well, guess what, guys? If you love God and keep his commandments, you will have abundance, even in the midst of physical lack. You will have favor if you walk in his ways and keep his commandments and love him. You will have it. You don't need someone to prophesy it into your life. You'll have it. It's there. Yeshua says, by my stripes you are healed. If you are in him, you have his healing. You don't need to be prophesied healing in your life. And the healing might just be in your spirit and that your acceptance of your circumstances are fine. Because why? Not my will, but thy will be done. We're confused and distracted. We're about to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. And as we begin to reflect 
on the various traditions, understandings within this context around our feast that God has commanded. There are four specific points that emerge as a result of our understanding of this feast. They're represented first in the coronation of a king. That's what happens at Rosh Hashanah. Our acceptance of his kingship is number two. Number three is our required tshuva or repentance in order to dwell with him and experience his presence and blessing. You see, when the king comes back, we have to look on him whom we've pierced and mourn. And either accept him as the one that we've pierced and that he is the king or not. So here comes the king. He's been coronated. We look at him and we, we mourn for what we've done and we accept him. And as a result of our mourning, we are Bauchuva. We are ones that repent. In our acceptance of him as king, we repent. And the fourth thing is, we understand that there's a final judgment of our lives in the spirit. This is the four principles of Rosh Hashanah in Judaism. It is the pathway to salvation. You understand that? These Jewish principles are no different from the pathway of salvation. One, the king is coronated. Two, you accept him as the king. Three, you realize what you've done and you repent. Four, very simple, you understand that you'll be judged for everything that's happened. The recognition of Yeshua as the Messiah, our acceptance of him as, as the king, is necessary as a component to communion with the Father in heaven. Yeshua came to lay a foundation for the reestablishment of our communion with God. And through his sacrifice, a remnant will have the opportunity to partake from the tree of life and live forever. The paradise of the messianic era, subsequent, and, and subsequently the, the Olam Haba, it's awaiting those who yield their souls to recognize the Most High God and King, Yeshua Mashiach. And we'll have free access behind the veil. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1. Brethren, I declare to you that the gospel which I preach to you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory that I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I deliver unto you first of all that which I also received, that how Yeshua died for our sins according to the scriptures. Think about Billy Graham, what he did. That guy would get into a stadium full of people and he would share a message of what was considered the true the, the, the gospel. He would literally share the gospel message of Yeshua in that stadium. It's no different from what Paul's saying right here. I preached to you a gospel and you heard it and you accepted it lest you believed in vain. He just shared a message. 
He didn't go out and find individuals, personal people, look them in the eye, tell them personally, you're going to go to hell if you don't accept Jesus. I mean, he wasn't doing, he was talking to the masses and sharing a message. People, listen to me. This is what's happened. And then they'd come to it. Paul's doing the same. He said, I delivered you, first of all, that which you received, how that Yeshua died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's, a, that's point one. And that he was buried. That's point two. That he rose again on the third day. That's point three. According to the scriptures. Not that he did it, but that the scripture said that he would do it, and he did it. That's the gospel. The gospel is, the Bible says in the Torah and in the Nevi'im, the prophets, that these things will happen. Oh, and Yeshua did it. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't that just simply someone died and rose. The gospel is that he affirmed through his actions in life that what God said already would happen. He's the one who did it. That's the gospel message. Here he is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and rose on the third day according to scriptures, and that he was seen as of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. Okay, so that's another part of the gospel that we don't preach, okay? Why not? Because we just accept that he is already the Messiah and that the world already knows that. But the, the fact is, is that during this part, he had to say he was seen of Peter and the twelve and the Cephas and, and that he was seen of, uh, of, 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 of 500 people after that because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, something is established and confirmed. The fact that 500 people saw him proves historically that it happened. It's a proof. Now some people say, well, I don't believe in the Bible or I do believe in the Bible. So because I don't believe in the Bible, it doesn't mean proof to me. No, the fact is, is that this is historically documented that it happened in the past. Therefore, it's true. The Bible is a historical document that, that writes down in catalogs what occurred in addition to other scriptures. Now listen, this is awesome. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. So those people were still alive. Go ask them. Go ask them. They're right here. But some are falling asleep. Beauty of that statement the, the beauty of that statement is that some have fallen asleep. They're not dead. They're sleeping. They'll wake again. Supporting our belief in what? Resurrection. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me, also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle. 
because I persecuted the church of God. Man, he sees it. He recognizes it. What humility do you find in Paul? I am the least of the apostles. Why? Because I persecuted him and the people. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. Now if Yeshua be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can some of you say there will be no resurrection if you believe in Yeshua who said there will be resurrection? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Yeshua now risen? And if Yeshua be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith also in vain? Yea, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Yeshua, the Mashiach, whom ye have raised not up, so, if so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Mashiach raised. And if Mashiach be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Messiah are perished. If in the life only we have hope in Mashiach, we are all of all men most miserable. But now is Mashiach risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. This is beautiful. Yeshua was the first fruits of those who were dead before. All that had died before, he was the first fruits. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Mashiach shall all be made alive. But every man, listen, every man in his own order. Mashiach, the first fruits, afterward, they that are Mashiachs at his coming then cometh the end what, what does that mean every man in his order the Messiah was the first fruits to rise afterward they that are Mashiachs at his coming what happens when the Messiah returns? The martyrs raise. The martyrs raise. And then they rule and reign with him for a thousand years, having already been judged by their own martyrdom. Then, important to say this, Verse 24, cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his foot. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. 
and all will raise. And this scripture right here in Corinthians follows suit really nicely with John in the book of Revelation in how resurrection happens for all of us. Tehiet, Tehiet Hamatin. The resurrection of the dead is the 13th principle. It's fundamental to our faith. It's, fundamentally to, it's fundamental to Judaism. That's why it was such a big deal in the New Testament. This wasn't a new concept. This wasn't a new idea. Paul was sitting here in Corinthians arguing with people. Those of you who say that resurrection isn't alive, then we believe things in vain. Then you're telling me that, that Jesus didn't raise from the dead, and if Yeshua didn't raise from the dead, he's not the Mashiach, then, then what's the point of our faith? And then all those that have died, they've all died in vain with the belief that Yeshua is the Messiah and is raising, and will raise him. It's all vanity, he's saying. No, but it's true. It's fundamental. It's core to your belief. If you don't believe that you will resurrect, if you don't believe that the dead will, will resurrect, and all of us should believe it because it says that we are all appointed to die once. So you better believe in resurrection because you're going to have to resurrect. No matter what that means. No matter if it means that you die in the, in the, in the, uh, in the, when Yeshua comes at the very end and he transforms you, that in and of itself is death. You have to believe it. The building blocks of our faith would come crashing down and these illusionary fortified walls of our religion would be as a house of, that's built on sand if we didn't believe in resurrection. It's our future hope and without it we are dead. It's the fulfillment of the promise that God will reach down into the bowels of the earth, pull from the four winds, bring his children to Israel, bring them back to the land. Now this is where you guys, I'm going to get into the point that you might think I'm weird. So this week I was praying. And I've been distracted in life. Highly distracted. And so God, when you're distracted, he, he'll do stuff to bring you back. And he's been bringing me back in a different way. And so I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't, I don't know what to do. What I do know is that you said you made me for your people of Israel. And many of you know that I had about my dream that I had when I was in Israel where I saw God. And he literally said to me, Michael, I've made you for my people, Israel. Okay, this dream was very real. It's still very real. I, I can fall back into it right now. Uh, it happened, you know, 15 years ago-ish. No, greater than. It happened, uh, I've been married 17, so it had to have happened 20 years ago. And so I say, God, I don't know what that means. That I don't know what that means that you've made me for your people, Israel. I don't... I don't know what it means. I don't, I'm not doing anything. And I closed my eyes and I had this picture. I was driving one day down to a supplier and I uh, passed off Main Street. I passed this cemetery. I looked over to my right and it was all a Jewish cemetery. It was all Hebrew, all over the walls and all of it. It was just a, 
an Orthodox Jewish cemetery. That's all it was, right there off, Waterloo, off Main Street. I closed my eyes as I was praying, and I saw that cemetery in my head. And I heard in my head, they're Israel. Go preach to them. Now, that sounds weird. Because you guys are going to say, well, they're dead. They're not dead. I'm going to prove that they're not dead. So I had in my thought, go preach them. I'm like, Lord, I said exactly what you thought. Well, they're dead. Okay, well, I'll go preach to them. So I get to this synagogue, to this, to this Jewish cemetery. One day, Dad calls me. He asked me where I'm at. I said, I'll be back. I was there. I get out of my truck. Very peaceful. They have a monument to, to, the, to the Shoah. You have all these deaths, and you go through it, and it's super sad. I mean, the little baby was buried, Eloise. She, she, has, she was born in 19, 1908, and she lived four months and then died. A little, little baby. Just seeing it, just, but then seeing the other lives that lived long. And it, I mean, it was just a beautiful thing, but at the same time, kind of depressing. But then I started preaching, and I said, I don't know why I'm here to talk to you, all of you. Mr. Hershowitz, Mrs. Rosen. And I began calling out their names as I was talking to them, and I told them, I know that you're in the ground asleep, but your neshama, your soul, should hear me. Because I'm speaking truth that Yeshua is Mashiach and he's coming again. And it's about to be Rosh Hashanah and the trumpets are about to blow and you, you will come from the grave. Your graves will be opened. And when I said your graves will be opened, I immediately said, where is that? Let me preach to you what that is. Where is that? So I immediately opened to Ezekiel chapter 37. To preach to them Ezekiel chapter 37. And I'm talking to them and I look like a psychopath. Because I'm walking up and down the whole thing. Because I want all of them, hundreds of, of, hundreds of souls that are what? Asleep. And when I'm sleeping, I dream. Why do I believe they're asleep? Because I believe in resurrection. So I'm talking to these hundreds of souls and I say, listen, Ezekiel 37, God's going to say this to you. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out of the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. And caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. Which means that they were dead for a while. These are dead people. You understand that, right? This is Ezekiel's vision. He sees death. Dead people. 
And you can say what you want. Well, he was really thinking about the fact that, you know, the people that were alive, you know, had a very dry spiritual life. And as a result, God was going to give them life. Behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I'll cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I, and I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, and the bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy to the son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord of God, come from the four winds and breathe, breathe upon these slain, the dead. That they might live. And they'll prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, this is, this is where, this is what the Lord gave me. Behold, O oh my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from out of your graves. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O oh my people, and brought you up out of your graves, you understand that that's what's going to happen. The graves will be opened. The dead have to rise. This is a prophecy in Ezekiel used for us to believe in resurrection, which is coming. And Paul is talking about it. And Yeshua speaks about it. And all the disciples and apostles believed in it. And it says that the graves will be opened. And he will bring you out. And it says this, Ye shall know that I am the Lord. When... When I have opened your grave. What happens at the coronation of a king? The king shows up. And we accept him. We recognize him as the king. And we repent. So you'll know that I'm God when I open your grave. O oh, my people, and brought you up out of your grave, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live. I don't know if you guys are hearing that. Like I hear it.
And I shall place you in your own land, and then ye shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. It's weird that I go to a Jewish cemetery because God calls me to Israel, but guess what? Those bones are dry. And the Spirit of the Lord is going to raise those bones, every single one of them. And it doesn't matter what you believe, all Flat, all bones that are dead and slain will be resurrected. Every last human being that's ever lived will be resurrected, which means their soul is sleeping. And when they're resurrected, they're either going to recognize him as a king or they are not. They're either going to bow tshuva, they're either going to repent and then his spirit put inside of them or they won't. We who are believers in this world today, thankfully, we have His Spirit inside of us while we are alive. There are many people in the world that have lived their lives without having heard the gospel message of Yeshua. What will they do when they see the King? You realize they're going to. What will they do when they see him return and pluck them from their grave and stand them up in front of him? What will they do? They'll either accept him and repent or reject him and go with the devil. That's the, that's the fact. That's what's happening. This is the Bible, guys. It's not me. It's the Bible. It says it. Now, theology is the interpretation of and the study of. So whatever your theology is, believe it. I'm just reading what I'm reading. I'm literally just reading it. Ignoring what I, what I understand or what I've been taught. When I read it, it tells me a story that might be a little different from what you're used to. And when I read it, it makes total sense to me why God would send me to a cemetery to preach to bones. We're preaching to bones every day. There are dead men walking. And we're preaching life and faith and truth to everyone that we come in contact with. This is the spirit of Rosh Hashanah. As we move into Rosh Hashanah, this is what we have to believe and think on. Are these the last days? Yeah. So what do we do with them? We speak to the dry bones. Amen. Amen. It is our duty to praise the master of all, to ascribe the greatness to the author of the creation. For he made us unlike the nation of the lands. He's not placed us like the family of the earth. He's not made our portion like theirs and our lot like all their multitudes. We bend the knee and bow and acknowledge our thanks before the king over kings. The Holy One blessed is he. He stretches out heaven and establishes earth's foundation. The seat of his glory is in the heavens above and the presence of his power is in the exalted heights. He's our God. There's none other. True is our king. There's nothing beside him as it is written in his Torah. You shall know this day and take to your heart that the Lord is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. There is none other. Amen. Amen.